You're listening to Flip This Risk, where it's time for a new conversation about risk management. From the boardroom all the way to the barbershop down the street, you can overcome fear of risk and thrive. Join your host, Dr. Karen Hardy, for candid conversations with industry leaders from across the globe. Dr. Karen brings her experience as an industry thought leader, best-selling author, and Apex Award winner to each episode. On the forefront of today's risk management strategies, helping leaders from small and large businesses overcome risk and feel confident in their choices. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Karen Hardy, and welcome to Flip This Risk Podcast, where we interview high achievers about their relationship with risk-taking and how it influences their leadership resiliency. You can find out more about the podcast at flipthisriskpodcast.com. And today, I'm very excited to have with me Dr. Mariba Ja, who's an astrodynamicist. Uh, and also a social professor at the University of Texas at Austin, amongst er uh, other things, a 2022 MacArthur Fellow, featured on major news networks, and he's gracing the cover of Cool America magazine. I'm curious, they probably named the magazine after you, right, Dr. Jar? (laughs) No way, no way. Yeah, no, that was um, fortuitous for sure. Well, listen, I know that recently your um, your organization had received the Fast Company world-changing ideas, was recognized for that. So there's so many things I want to talk to you about. We first met not too long ago. I was doing a study about space commerce, and I was leading the interview with you, and I was just thrilled to, to meet you because I had not been aware of an entire sector dealing with space and risk, and these amazing people involved in this area. So I could start at so many places with you, but I'm gonna start with the basic question in terms of what is the role of an astrodynamicist? Yeah, so so astrodynamics, and and yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. And, um, you know, astrodynamics is the science that studies motion of objects in space. So Mm -hmm. whether the motion be of, natural objects like planets, asteroids, comets, that sort of stuff, or uh, anthropogenic objects, human-made, like satellites, rockets, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just studying motion of of objects in space. But this led me to, uh, I guess, become a space environmentalist, which is really what we'll probably be talking about more today. Oh, absolutely. The environmental piece of space. It's just fascinating to have those two things occupy the same um, place in space and and speaking of space what exactly when you say space because that's a broad term describe that for people who may not be familiar with the the type of work that you're doing yeah so um you know earlier in my career one of the things that i wanted to do was i wanted to be a spacecraft navigator uh, for nasa and specifically um, i was able to get a job with nasa's jet propulsion lab in pasadena and my job was to successfully get satellites from earth to mars and uh even even orbiting mars so i worked on a handful of missions uh while at jpl and um even one with the european space agency and so yeah basically when when i talk about space i mean that you know planets uh galaxies everything's in motion uh everything in our universe is in motion and the stuff in between uh, 
what we consider mass is what can be considered, you know, space. And, uh, you know, I guess Einstein really thought of this as curvature of space-time, meaning that uh, time is not separate from space. These things are inextricably linked. Um, and that's where he got his theories of relativity. So basically how, how the curvature of space-time informs objects to move in between one mass and another. Um, as an astrodynamicist, it's my job to understand how that happens, yeah. And why is space so important right now? Why should an ordinary person care about this subject or, or space in general? Yeah, so we live in a world where there's a lot of data, a lot of information, and uh, you know everything from you know what's going on inside our bodies to understanding what's happening on the planet, inside the planet, around it, all that stuff, you know, financial uh, situations, mining, climate change. And the source of data and information that tells humanity most about itself and about the earth comes from these robots in the sky. So satellites provide unique data and information and, and services and capabilities to people in their everyday life. Everything from GPS with figuring out you know, how to get from point A to point B, which affects not just traffic on roads, but uh, maritime uh, and air traffic uh, as well. Um, satellites also route information. We use them for communications. We use satellites for internet. We use these, you know, satellites to observe the earth, everything from climate change to the war in Ukraine. And the problem is that nothing guarantees these satellites from working from one minute to the next because we have a lot of garbage in space. I'm glad you mentioned satellites because that's the, the piece where I think people can really connect to why should I care about what's happening above my head? I don't know how many feet above my head, but you know, that's something that has an impact on our day-to-day -day lives. As you said before, satellite is used for so many data, you know, calculations and collecting data to tell the weather and so forth and so on. So it has a huge impact on how we live our lives and using that data to plan our lives as well. Um, you mentioned something very important in terms of the problem and debris. So there's a lot, a lot of things happening in space that we may not be aware of in terms of debris. Where are we with that debris and describe what that debris is? Are we at a, a current threat in terms of that debris? Yeah, so in 1957, uh, humanity launched the first satellite from the Soviet Union. And now in 2023, we are tracking about 50,000 objects ranging in size from a cell phone to the space station. And out of the 50,000 objects, about 5,000 are satellites that work and everything else is garbage. Now, these pieces of trash, these things are dead satellites because the satellites, we put these things in orbit and once they die and they run out of fuel, they stay in orbit for very long periods of time, mm -hmm. depending on the altitude forever. They don't come back. Um, and even a lot of the rockets that we use to send the satellites up there, uh, some of those rockets stay up there for very long periods of time as well. And from time to time, these things collide with each other and break up into many smaller pieces um, or they explode and they create many smaller pieces. So this is where all that trash is coming from. Most of the stuff up there just keeps on going at high speeds and 
uh, takes either a really long time to come back or doesn't come back at all. Who's responsible for all this debris? Who owns it and who's responsible for it? I mean, is that is space like international waters? You know, when you're in international waters, no laws apply. So what exactly, how is it handled? How is all that managed? I would say that outer space is a lot like the high seas that you're referring to, which mm -hmm. is an issue. And interestingly enough, just in March, the United Nations accepted uh, passing a treaty to protect the high seas environmentally. Mm -hmm. And I and some other colleagues from around the globe proposed a similar treaty for outer space to protect it environmentally because it, it lacks environmental protection, like you're pointing out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, you know, the, the three countries responsible for most of the garbage in space are uh, Russia, the United States and China. Wow. So I'm thinking about those three relationships right now. But yes, extremely <laughs> strange, to say the least. Yeah, exactly. Um, those are the three largest, the superpowers there trying to get together to figure that piece out. Um, you, you talked about the environmental piece of this as well. What is it about space that make it an environmental issue? Considering that it's not here down here with me, why is it a threat to me? Yeah, so I would say that um, I like thinking of Mother Earth uh, as Gaia, a system of systems, land, hmm ocean, air, and space, and that these things are actually interconnected, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with each other. And, um, you know, even though I talked about the universe and how vast that is, the places where we put satellites, these are, you know, very limited orbital highways, just like we have shipping lanes, we have mm -hmm. airways, we have orbital highways. So we don't launch satellites in random places. We put them on these highways and they're becoming more and more congested. So Actually, orbital space is a finite resource, and because each country gets to launch what it wants, when it wants, without having to coordinate and talk to anybody else, collectively, the unintended consequences of, of these actions is driving us towards you know, what people would, would call a tragedy of the commons, meaning we might lose the ability to use space because there's so much trash uh, in orbit. And... Uh, so, so that's one of the reasons why it needs to be, uh, you know, protected environmentally and just like, you know, land, air, and ocean. And there are probably, um, you know, links between how certain debris behave and what's happening inside the planet and, you know, the planet's magnetic field also, um, uh, has some influence over the motion of the junk. So, Again, Gaia is like a system of systems, like a whole organism. And mm -hmm. much like we don't, uh, you know, we have a nervous system and we have a, a bone system and we have different systems that comprise our body. We are one holistic being. Mother Earth, land, air, ocean, and space are not mutually exclusive from each other. They all have interdependencies. I see. But, you know, it's never we've I've never heard it put in that type of context because easily people would say, well, you know, they're not satellites. We're not a, at a, a threat of a satellite falling out the sky anytime soon. And it's, we seem to catch it if that does happen. But the way you put it in terms of this, a connection between Mother Earth and space, they're one and the same. So there's exactly. no, right, exact. And we don't, I don't think we're conscious enough to actually understand that to realize how important it is of so much things going on right now in space. It sounds like there's an ethical value part here in terms of those who participate in this yeah. space. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, I would, I would, I, I would say so. So, so two things to mention. One, because you, you mentioned uh, satellites falling from the sky. The truth is they are. And, um, you know, probably about half a dozen or more objects are re-entering the atmosphere every day, uh, human-made objects. And some of them survive re-entry and make it to the Earth's surface. And uh, if you look at the news, if you just Google debris and uh, impacts with the Earth, you're going to see some photographs of some objects that are probably as large as a car or a school bus that uh, have landed near populated areas. And I'm telling you, it's only a matter of time before one of these things, the size of a school bus, traveling at many times the speed of a bullet is gonna hit a populated area. Um, so that is a real threat to human lives, for sure. And clearly the pollution, when it hits the earth and even the ocean, you're listening to Flip This Risk Podcast with Dr. Karen Hardy, and we'll be right back with more great conversation after this. Do you want to write a book but don't know where to start? No worries. We've got you covered. Become a published risk management author with Flip This Risk Books. Flip This Risk Books is an international award-winning book series written by industry subject matter experts and practitioners, just like you. Want to build your professional brand and authority in the field? Write a chapter for our next book series. Visit flipthisriskbooks.com. The wow, this suffered thing. the most uh, yeah, detriment because of that, for sure. Um, you, yeah, you don't hear a lot about that, by the way. You don't hear a lot of news about exactly. satellites and debris the size of school buses that are already. How what 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 word do you term do you use when they come out of the orbit to to yeah, Earth? So these, they just fall out the sky. What is it called? Reentry, reentry, reentry. Re re all these things, reentries, mm -hmm. and there there are many of them. And again, um, some of them do survive. Uh, they don't fully burn up in the atmosphere and they uh, collide with uh, the planet's surface. So that's, that's not so good. But about the cultural aspect that you brought up, one of the things that motivates my work are uh, First Nation people and uh, these principles that are uh, part of what's called traditional ecological knowledge or tech. I, I like calling it ancient tech as opposed to high tech and deep tech. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, culturally, in very dark places on the planet, meaning places without a whole lot of city lights and stuff like that, you know, these indigenous people, their creation stories have a lot to do with the sky and, and the sky being dark and quiet. And with the launch of more and more satellites, you know, they see the skies moving more and more every day and every mm. week. And that uh, impacts them culturally. And nobody's asking them how they feel or what they think about this sort of stuff. So we humans, we just tend to do things we can or because it's legal, but this is a lack of inclusivity and, and, and uh, it's to, to the detriment of the cultural heritage of our skies. Well, it seems to be a lack of inclusivity, not only from that perspective, culturally, but also professionally in terms of, you know, space is big business, is it not? It is. Lots of people, look, lots of people are making a lot of money from space and that's just going to continue to increase with all these services that humanity uh, is using uh, on a daily basis that are now critical infrastructure uh, on orbit. Are you seeing more people of color involved in the commercial, taking advantage of the opportunities in this, you know, the, the space area? 
um, not, not in terms anyone. of diversity, where is the diversity or do we need diversity or is that even an, an issue other than the, the, you're talking about the cultural piece? Yeah, no, I think it is an issue. And I actually wrote an op-ed about it that just came out a few days ago and I'll give you the link to mm -hmm. it. But um, yeah, space community has a huge issue with diversity. And, you know, unfortunately, um, the people that keep on shaking their fists uh, in my direction uh, tend, to be, tend to be heterogeneous, cisgender white males uh, mm -hmm. that, think, that think that diversity means that they're being excluded, which isn't the case. It's not an or, uh, it's an and. We need to be and people, not or people. We're not, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not trying to say, oh, black people or white people to be involved in space. We need to say both and, it's an and uh, situation. And, um, you know, also people keep on bringing up, oh, well, you know, diversity hurts, hurts us because, um, you know, we, we put people uh, in, in, in situations or we put people in positions where they're not qualified. That, that is a false equivalence that I see, which um, is untrue. Uh, there are plenty of uh, smart, intelligent, well-prepared, very qualified, you know, people of color and uh, underrepresented minorities that um, don't see equity in being able to get access uh, to these jobs and, and, and opportunities for them to provide their own uh, contribution and their own perspective uh, to how we explore and utilize space. So we do have a diversity issue. We do have an inclusion issue. We do have an equity issue. And um, it's, it's more than just PowerPoints and things on websites. We actually need to uh, you know, take great strides in recruiting um, you know, uh, all these different voices because we need them. Oh, absolutely. Because there's plenty of space out there to have these different perspectives and ideas when different people come with different ideas. And that's what we need to make it to be very successful in this. Now, I mentioned early on that, uh, what was that? The Fast Company had uh, giving your company an award for two that you developed. And it sounds like to me, it's like, the GPS of space, and correct me if I'm wrong, but considering that debris is everywhere, how do you map, keep track of all of these threats of the debris? And that, that's been an ongoing question in my head, and it seemed like you develop a tool to help do that. Yeah, so we developed a tool called Wayfinder, and it's named Wayfinder after, uh, you know, especially Native Hawaiian, um, practices of mm. wayfinding, uh, crossing, uh, having to have a successful conversation with the environment in order to successfully uh, cross and navigate, you know, part of the, the, the most des desolate parts of our planet without, you know, sextants and these sorts of, uh, you know, high-tech instruments. They use traditional ecological knowledge versus TECH uh, kind of thing. And um, so it's called Wayfinder and it's a database of multiple sources of information and opinions about stuff in space. And it is very difficult. I mean, a lot of these are just opinions about where things are in space. Um, we need to have more sensors to verify and validate the information that we have in our database and we're working uh, on these sorts of things. But yeah, the Wayfinder, if people go to privateer.com, they can see it and they can see all these dots and every dot represents a human made object 
uh, you know, that, that at least someone somewhere believes is currently orbiting the earth. And uh, like you said, it's mesmerizing to kind of see the quantity uh, of all this stuff. Wow. And uh, is, is there a risk assessment piece built into your, your tool? Are you assessing high yeah. threats versus low threats? Yeah. So we have an application in Wayfinder called Crow's Nest that people can check out. And it uses uh, some NASA tools to mm-hmm. compute um, predicted collision probabilities between different objects and actually provides the information about these potential collisions so that people can you know, stay safe uh, and, and maybe take some action uh, about these. Well, I'm going to wrap up a little bit, Dr. Job, but I yeah. did want to ask who were some of your early influences on your life? I mean, what made you look up to the sky and say, I'm going to do that? I'm curious to know. Yeah. So, I mean, I really started getting positive about satellites and these sorts of things when I was enlisted in the Air Force after high school. I was stationed mm-hmm. at Malmstrom Air Force Base uh, in Montana, and I'd look up at the dark sky, and I never had been in a place with dark skies. And when I saw these dots of light going across the sky and, and started trying to figure out what these things were, they, they weren't UFOs, they were satellites that I was seeing with my naked eye. So that's what really got me curious. And a f- colleague of mine, uh, Don Wallace, who was stationed with me up there, um, kind of you know, incentivized me to study aerospace engineering. But mm-hmm. aside from that, um, one professor at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Arizona, uh, Ron Madler, was a mentor. And uh, for graduate school at the University of Colorado at Boulder, the late uh, Professor George Bourne took me under his wing and gave me a chance to to prove to myself that I was worthy to do something in this. So yeah, those those are definitely uh, some of my leading you know mentors um, you know in this life. Aside from uh, you know my my parents, my mom. Wow, that is fantastic story. I'm so glad you had a chance to share this with us. And I do have one uh, unscientific. Uh, quiz I want to ask you about yeah. real quick. So just tell me which one you would choose. I'm just curious to know what your risk profile is. So uh, let's see, uh, Deep Space Nine or the original Star Trek? It's got to be the original Star Trek. <laughs> you said that's politically correct. You know that all the Trekkies are listening probably. It's like, it's just got to <laughs> be the original Star Trek. That's right. Absolutely. And finally, the Jetsons or Lost in Space? <laughs> Lost in Space. You remember Lost in Space? I do. <laughs> All right. That was fun to watch those those shows early on. But I think that was a the, the, the simplest introduction we had as kids to what's possible. Right? Yeah, but but you forgot to ask me the 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 quintessential question is amongst all these things, um, you know, Star Wars, you know, Star Wars or any of these other things. And for sure, I would say Star Wars. But t- to me, actually, my favorite uh, space sci-fi kind of thing is Dune. I just saw Dune. It was incredible. I am like and a big fan. Maybe you can get a role in there because you should be in there. There, there you go. Look, next time they want to, to, to cast Paul Atreides as a person of color, <laughs> I, I will be Muad'Dib six ways till Sunday. Well, you need to start working on that because I can see that. <laughs> All right. Listen, did you have any final words? I appreciate your time. Any final words or thoughts you want to leave with everyone? Yeah, I will say this, right? Um, the challenges in us solving the world's problems, there are technical challenges. There are political challenges. 
but the biggest one is just the lack of empathy. Mm. And, um, and I think, um, you know, if people can, can leave this considering the, the hypothesis or the belief that all things are interconnected, that we need to celebrate our differences, but we're more alike than we're different. And that, um, you know, the, the, the only way to get through these problems is for us to remember our intergenerational contract of stewardship, that we're mm -hmm. here to be caretakers and stewards mm -hmm. and really try to recruit that empathy. I think that's the main message that I want to send to people out there is that there's still time to turn things around. It's not too late. Um, Mother Nature is very resilient. When we take our foot off the gas pedal, she always seeks uh, equilibrium. And, um, you know, we can embrace stewardship and we can turn things around and kind of save spaceship Earth because collectively we're choosing self-extinction and that doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. And I'm going to help spread your message and uh, as, as part of you being here on this broadcast here. Again, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Much love and aloha. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for checking out Flip This Risk Podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy, and I'll catch you next time. Helping you feel secure is our strategy. All the way from the boardroom to the barbershop down the street. Subscribe at flipthisriskpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.